The Hundred Marathon Club by Darren Smith. Number 33. Green Man Ultra. 2nd of March 2019. Despite feeling like 2019 wasn't going to plan, I came into March feeling rather punch drunk after the tough races to date. I mean, who starts the year with Portland, Pilgrims and GMU? But oddly, I also felt quite positive about the latter. I had enjoyed the rescheduled Green Boy in September and thought I could give it another go. After all, I had no expectations going into it six days after the Loch Ness Marathon, having come off the back of eight weeks of injury and whooping cough, and still came in over an hour under the cutoff. This time around, I would do even better. This time around, I had a plan. Remember that failure to plan is planning to fail. Or plans are nothing, but planning is everything. It is an art form that takes a lifetime to master. But fuck, does it make things a lot easier. With the midnight running of the New Year's marathon in Zurich aborted after one lap, and it was a fucking horrible, freezing cold lap in pitch darkness along a canal, Pilgrims curtailed to a single day in the snow, and Portland halved, I had to up my game, and so I looked at how I did at GMU in 2018, worked out where I went wrong, and how I could improve my time, and so I entered a planning phase. It would be the winter green man again, but run in winter this time and not in September on dry ground. And so it would be muddy. It would be cold. And the day would be shorter by a good couple of hours of daylight. But, and there are plenty of buts here. I was now very proficient at the OS Maps app regarding navigation. Um, I got lost three times in the autumn. I would not get lost this time. That was the plan, dare I say it. But I did kind of know the way as well. Also, I'd have minimal stops at the checkpoints rather than my lengthy sit down and a cup of tea and a chat with whoever is around. And I would decide on a maximum time per kilometre. In 2018, whether it was resting at a checkpoint or standing still to check my phone or my map or getting lost, I had 10 kilometres of the 50 over this maximum time that I had set in 2018. So, with just this single figure to focus on, I could enjoy the race and not get all worked up by calculating possible times. As long as each kilometre that I ran was under the limit that I've set, then I was good. All I had to do is not get lost and not waste loads of time at checkpoints. I had purchased new on-trail shoes that were very pretty, but also pretty rigid and not broken in at all. 
I put them on for the first time in the hotel before my car arrived to take me to the station. And they rubbed my heel just walking around the room on lovely fluffy carpet. If I wore them in the race, they may well have ended up crippling me. And so I opted for my Nike Free, the shoes that I wear day to day. If it was muddy, I guessed I would just slip and slide all over the place. But knowing the route included a lot of road, I thought I would be fine. I caught the train from Bristol Temple Meads to Cainsham, as I did before. Uh, I chatted with a young guy who was running his first uh, ultramarathon that day. Hadn't even run a marathon before. And as we pulled up to the station in Cainsham, of all people, my dear friend Keith Miller was standing there waiting for me with a sign saying taxi for Mr. Knees. Bless him, he had kept it a secret so he could surprise me. And then I saw Ira Rainey, the man who we can all blame for introducing us to this race. And the three of us chatted as I calmed down in the car park in Cainsham. It was a little different than September. Things were moved around a bit. But I was good. I was in a good place. And I was ready to race. The beginning I remember vividly from the year before. Out of the pub, turn right, along a path, down and under the underpass, into the first muddy field. Along a river to a stile, climb, repeat for a few fields before a road. Cross that and then you are on the railway path. As I got into my mindset or the zone uh, and queued up my tunes for the day, a lady runner pulled alongside me. She said that she had signed up for this race last year and that she was injured so couldn't run it. She was injured for a long time and hadn't trained much. This was her introduction, not hi, how are you, do you run here often? Injury, lack of training, right off the bat, almost as an excuse for what would come later. I was planning to do a bit of a road runner at the time, into the distance at this point, but that would have been rude, so I listened to her story for a while and I gave her a bit of a pep talk. I told her that we had nine hours to do this and that I would also be run-walking the whole damn thing and that she would be fine. And she accepted this, realising that yes, nine hours is a lot of time and that she would be okay. And soon, or pretty soon anyway, I found myself crossing a road with a lot of runners and going up the path behind those cottages, the ones that I got lost at last year. I didn't realise it was so early in the race. And then I ran with a couple of guys and crossed a field. This was the diagonal where I ended up stuck with the bramble hedgerow in September, the one where I tried to push myself through it, effectively like trying to push a block of spam through an air vent. Were all my special moments from the year before this early in the race? It made me chuckle to myself as I joined two others at the junction last year where my group got confused and they all went into a field and I ended up having to check my phone app before heading straight ahead. This year, 
We just all went straight ahead, correctly. I even managed to say good afternoon to the house owner, who was watching us go by. It was all going decidedly well. At the first checkpoint, I was already seven minutes ahead of my 2018 time. You see, I'd written all of my kilometre times down from the previous year and and laminated it as well at work, so I could check to see how far ahead of schedule or behind schedule I was at any point in time. It was going well. I was trying to stay off my phone, keeping photos and OSAP maps usage to a minimum. Although I did bring two fully charged USB chargers and kept my phone plugged into one of them the entire time. And with the kilometres ticking over, I did finally hit a bit of mud. Fortunately, there were no other runners around to see my comical Bambi on ice slip sliding down the paths for about a mile. That really did slow me down. The Nike Freeze, you see, are soft-soled, flat, road shoes that are ideal for my fat, wide, flint, red Flintstone feet. They are, however, no use at all on mud. And so, for an exhausting and slow mile, I had to hop from one side of the path to the other, praying that I hit a dry patch or a patch of grass. Uh, At times, I had to take pigeon steps where there was no alternative, or hold on to the fence or or nearby branches. But I made it unscathed, other than a scratch on one finger, and without going headfirst into the mud. Bosh! Out and on to the last checkpoint. And the last 10k was easy. It was mostly on road, and once you have left Blaze Common... It is along one road, down the next, climbing all the time until you are greeted by the view of the Clifton Suspension Bridge, all lit up at night. It is a truly glorious sight, and when you realise that you are now only three kilometres from the finish, it is even better. You just have to deal with the ball ache of trying to get across a bridge that has only one path opened, and that is filled with bloody tourists. Having negotiated the bridge, you climb more and more to the high stone gates of Ashton Court, the stately home that houses the eponymous Green Man. The sun had had gone down in no time, and my new Petzl head torch was on. It had also started to rain, and I was wrapped up in my waterproof jacket, watching the rain obscure my vision, as four of us entered the grounds of the stately home together. When I ran this before, in the previous September, dear old Bob showed me the way. It was all still very fresh in my mind, so I knew as soon as we entered the grounds, we had to take a sharp left and down a path into the darkness and through a gate. The other three had just kept going, and I had to call for them to come back, and they turned and I pointed them in the right direction before heading them da- leading them down to the green man. That's the green man, I said, and took my customary photo turning to see that the other three had ignored me completely and were now running diagonally across the field. 
and I had pointed them in the right direction of the finish. I took the diagonal too, following the white staked path downhill, then a short up, then a stone path to the car park. I said hi to the marshal there in the rain, and they are always superb. And then the diagonal across a pitch dark field to a gap in the hedge where there are race flags, of course, which you can't see in the dark, and then onto the school grounds. And here it is easy to aim directly at the shadows in the distance by the inflatable arch. But you are on the football fields and there's a fence separating you and your goal and so you need to aim for the middle of the fence too. But then I was home. Cheering shadows, clapping and within minutes someone demanding that I hand over my race timing chip. It was the kind of chip that you have to tie around your ankle and looks like you were on day release from Wormwood Scrubs. Looking at my time though, I had done it. 32 minutes faster than the previous September. And all this despite coughing up a lung and walking a chunk and still having a cup of tea at one of the checkpoints. And so I was happy with that. The next time I ran it, I would just do even better. And for that, I can thank the plan. If I can quote my namesake from the A-Team, I love it when a plan comes together. Next up, the Hanover Marathon.